I had someone tell me something that changed my life once. And he was like, don't get a mentor, just go get mentoring. Like find people that you look up to and ask them questions. Almost anyone will give you 15 minutes if you come with a list of questions. And so I've shifted from trying to find mentors to now, if someone's in a position that I respect, I, I ask them questions. We all want to improve our lives, but sometimes it's hard to know where to start. Join us each week on the Stacking Habits podcast with your hosts, David, Matthew, and Caleb, as we uncover life-changing habits from inspiring people. Want to know the best part? You can then apply those habits to enrich your own life and move closer to your goals. How did you and Brad connect? Uh, Brad and I connected, boy, it was probably back in 2018. It was around the same time that you and I connected, actually, Caleb, and Around that time, my sister and I, we started a nonprofit called 5050 Books. And our mission was uh, really opening up access to books uh, to everyone in the community, regardless of, you know, what, what they could pay or afford. Um, and we actually uh, partnered up with different community organizations every month and donated uh, 50% of our proceeds to that organization. So Hence the name 5050. It was like half for us, half for the community. Love it. Ultimately, uh, that was not the most sustainable financial model. Uh, but uh, one of our partners uh, was Same Cafe. And uh, the thing that really attracted us to Same Cafe was that their mission is very similar uh, to ours, which is, again, providing uh, access to healthy food, uh, primarily plant-based, but just really healthy seasonal food. Uh, regardless of people's ability to pay for that food. And uh, Brad has been the CEO of Same Cafe now for what, seven years? Six and a half, yeah. That's wild. Yeah, I can't so, that long. Yeah. So um, we, we actually connected. I uh, made my way down to Same Cafe. We had a really nice lunch. And the food, I, it was like, not to offend anyone, it was like surprisingly good. Like it was shockingly good. <laughs> I get that all the time. People are like, wow, Brad, the food's really good. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I run the place. But I don't cook, so I hire good chefs. But the food is genuinely exceptional. Our thing is, is the food needs to be restaurant quality, delicious, where people would want to have the food. And then we happen to have this great mission on the side. And then we have this participation-based model where people can volunteer time, donate what they can, or give produce in exchange for a meal. And yeah, and what David and his sister were doing was so similar, but for books. And I have a background in literacy as well. So I've done like literacy programs and just working with kids a lot. So I was immediately intrigued by what they were doing as well. So it was a good partnership there for a while. Well, that's incredible. Absolutely. Brad, just, just out of curiosity, how, you know, I know it's uh, volunteer based, you know, a lot of it is participation based. Uh, you receive a lot of donations as far as produce goes. How do you... Um, manage the quality control of the food with a chef on site every day. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess, but with like so many variables, right. You, you know, like the volunteers for that day and the produce, like how, how does that all, all, all we work? Staff too. We just have a lot of volunteers as well. So there's five staff that run each of the two cafes. Cause now we opened a second cafe uh, last year. It's actually November 4th is our one year anniversary there. And it's in Ohio, Toledo, yeah. Ohio. It's not far and, from me. I'm in, I'm in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So just, uh, Oh really? Yeah. yeah. You should go over to Toledo and check it out. It's the food's really good. It's a, it's a great place. But, um, anyway, 
we have about five staff who run each of the cafes. So there's an executive director, an executive chef, a cafe manager, and some um, like hourly employees that help out. So that's the main core. And then the rest is, is we engage a lot of volunteers. There's like five levels of volunteerism. So there's like, you can walk in and exchange a task for a meal. You can sign up for a one to three hour shift. You can adopt one of those shifts every week. So then you become a core volunteer. So we can train in some deeper stuff. Then we also do internships with high school students and college students. And then we do a year of service through kind of an AmeriCorps type program, but it's, there's two of them that are religious and um, they send their they're young people over. So they're like 40 hours a week, full time, but we don't pay full time. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah. yeah. Now, now, Brad, you didn't start same cafe, but it sounds like you joined pretty early on. Is that right? No, I joined 11 years in. So it's been around oh, wow. 15 oh. years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 10 years in, I guess. Um, I, I went to same cafe when I was homeless because I got kicked out of my whole like my I have the weirdest life of anyone I've ever met but I was a pastor for many years and then I got fired excommunicated and experienced homelessness for about a year after I came out as gay and I lost everything and I had heard about this cafe where I could go and get meals and I have um I have hypoglycemia so I have like really low blood sugar and if I don't eat every couple of hours I will get really sick and so I'd lost access to healthy food. I went there as a guest because I knew that no one would ask me about my experience to get food. You know, most nonprofits, you have to fill out an intake form, talk to an intake worker and all that. And so I went there specifically because I knew I wouldn't have to be asked about anything. And then I had this beautiful full circle moment um, in 2017 where I got to take over as the executive director. And now the CEO of the parent organization, So All May Eat, where we have the two cafes and hopefully more cafes in the near future. So how did you go so from that? How did you go from being a guest there to the executive director? Sorry to steal Dave's question. Yeah, so I was uh well, I had a master's degree, a, a master of divinity, which is always fun. Um, from a very conservative seminary, I, I think they wish they could have their degree back. But um, <laughs> I was a, a pastor, had a master of divinity, had staff. I was running a program. You know, I was on my way to being a senior pastor. And so I had experiences, but then I experienced homelessness because I lost my support network and income and all that. So pretty quickly, I was able to get my feet back under me in the nonprofit sector. So I kind of translated my experience in the religious world into nonprofit work. And I got a job working at Urban Peak, which is a youth homeless organization, because I wanted to work with other LGBTQ youth that had fewer supports than I did. Um, I never had to sleep outside because I had couches I could surf. I had people that and I had a car. And so I wanted to help other youth. And then pretty quickly, I just started interviewing every single human who was an executive director or CEO. And I was like, if you'll talk to me, I have five questions that if you'll give me 15 minutes, I'm going to ask you every one of them. What did you do before this? What's your education background? What was your work? You know, what was your passion and why do you do this? And so I just started interviewing everyone and realized I needed another master's. So I went and got a master's in nonprofit management. And then I needed fundraising experience if I wanted to be an executive director. So I went and got those two things and then started looking for executive director jobs. And I saw the Berkeys, Brad and Libby Berkey are the founders. I have the same first name as one of the founders, which is kind of funny because when I first started, people would be like, oh, I've talked to your wife. And I was like, never had one of those, never gonna, wrong tree here. But, but I uh, found out they were leaving and I said, I really want that because it helped me when I was at my lowest point. So I'm passionate about it. I've been on both sides of that counter now. And I think that we can grow it. It was such a compelling mission that I thought there should be a same cafe in every city in America. And I think when I started, the board sort of patted me on the head and was like, yeah, we, we believe in you, but 
let's just get this one going uh, or keep this one going. And then now we're, we've built a model with uh, same cafe library partnerships is what it is. So we work with downtown libraries to be able to convert their existing cafes into a same cafe and then be able to solve like six problems for a library with an empty cafe space healthy food access, access to food for everybody that's in those spaces, a prime location for same cafe. They don't need a lot of revenue for it. So it becomes this really great partnership. And that's the model we're working from now. And that's what we did in Toledo. That was Beautiful. a lot of answer to one small question, but there. <laughs> okay. So when you interviewed those uh, executive directors and you had those five questions, did you yeah. write those down somewhere and kind of figure out some trends or you just logged it all in your head? Just in my head. But yeah, that was one of the things is I, so my background is, comes from very like Christian background. And mm -hmm. there was all this emphasis on having mentors. And I had someone tell me something that changed my life once. And he was like, don't get a mentor, just go get mentoring. Like find people that you look up to and ask them questions. Almost anyone will give you 15 minutes if you come with a list of questions and you yep. just say, hey, you're doing this, which I think is really cool. So can I come and ask you some questions? It'll take 15, 20 minutes, but I, I have these questions. And so I've shifted from trying to find mentors to now, if someone's in a position that I respect, I, I ask them questions and I come prepared with questions. And now that I'm in the position I'm in, I get that a lot from young people that are like, will you mentor me? And I'm like, no, but if you have questions for me, I will make myself available. And so you come prepared and you ask what you want to know, and then we'll have a meaningful conversation. And I know this is about habits, so I can t share some of those things. But for most of it was I needed to know where were the gaps in my experience and my education? And then also what was the passion that led them to do a mission focused leadership role? Yeah. So you, but you had the knowledge of where you wanted to go, right? You had that intention first, and then you were able to sort of direct your actions to, to go after that. Correct. Yeah. So um, David and I talked about this. I have a bucket list of things that I want to do. One of the, do you want me to just jump in? I can just kind of jump in and share some of these um, habits. Yeah, I, I have one or two more follow-ups just to kind of oh. close this first chapter, if, if you don't sure. mind. Yeah. So um, I, Yes, I had a goal of being a CEO. I wanted to be a CEO of a nonprofit. And so I just wanted to ask anyone who was in that role how they I got there. It. Yeah, I love it. Um, I'm actually on sabbatical right now. I'm coming up on 12 months. The three of us built a software company and sold it in December of last year. And so I forced myself to take, you know, at least three months, ideally six. And that's turned into almost a year. I got remarried, picked up four girls. We're having another one, got, you know, moved. So this year has been hectic been awesome oh yeah um, but i uh, i don't have the crazy itch to get back at it which i thought i would because i am an entrepreneur i love to to just keep moving i've got a lot of energy um and so one of my goals was to do essentially what you did there to go sit down with a lot of people i've been reading a lot of books just trying to figure out where do my energies and my passions and my skill sets align and where can i plug in but you sort of had that goal already right and 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 uh, one of our goals for the podcast, it is stacking habits. We're trying to examine habits that people can then decide, does this fit where I want to go? And really, the only criteria for guests, um, it's, not, it's not a terribly complex list. We're looking for intentional people that are, you know, building actions that have some sort of a measurable impact. So really, intentionality and impact is it. And when uh, Dave shared some of the pre-call notes with us, I'm like, holy cow, this guy like is the poster child for intentionality. 
So <laughs> I'm I'm really curious to dig into. Uh, I know David mentioned guardrails. So yeah, let's just let's spring off of that into uh, into guardrails and then into your bucket list because David mentioned you sat down at age 18 and sort of built this bucket list. Was that for the rest of your life or was this just 10 years at a time? Let's walk through where that came from. Yeah. So um, I started when I was 18, someone again told me randomly that um, you should have a bucket list that is are big things that you want to accomplish. And so I dreamed of things that I wanted to do. And I have I have a lot of trauma in my background as well. So I, like I had complex PTSD, I have a lot of anyway, there's that's a whole other conversation. But one of the things is I my list was to accomplish by 30. That was my list when I started. And then I did them all like everything on my list. And then I turned 30 and I was like, well, damn, I guess I need more <laughs> things on my list. So I actually had a whole moment of transition once I survived 30. And the reason I bring up trauma is a lot of people who've been traumatized as children believe they'll die young. That's a common theme. And so when I outlived my expectations, then I started to build new things. And so now I just have a running bucket list. And every year, every decade, I sort of check them off and say, okay, that lives here. Now what's the next thing? And it gives me a sort of every 10 year moment to dream about my future. And it's, it's interesting to look at my list because it's not a career trajectory. There's not like the one thing that is always driving me. So when you asked me, did I want to talk to CEOs of nonprofits? I did because that was a goal of mine. And now I've done that. And so now I have different goals. So now I have different group people that I'm trying to like connect with and talk to. But um, that was one that I checked off and I feel really happy about it. Love it. What are, what are some of those first goals that were on your to do in your, you know, by the time you turned 30? Yeah. So on my list before I turned 30 was to be, uh, I wanted to go up the Eiffel Tower, which seemed impossible at the time as a Missouri kid, you know, growing up in blue collar poverty, uh, wanted to work at a camp, wanted to visit all 50 states. That was always on the list. So just kind of like a few random small things. But it was interesting because David pointed this out. I had never looked at it because now I have my by 30 and by 40 because I'm 42 now and I'm working on my by 50 list and they've just gotten progressively larger. Hmm. Um, each decade, I get new things that set me on fire and I'm moving towards. And so now on my list are things like I want to write a book. I want to work in all three sectors. So I want to work as a for-profit CEO as well at some point. I'm like, there's got to be owners out there that want my skill set so they can get out of day to day and I'll run the damn things. <laughs> I want to do that. I want to visit 70 countries. I'm at 26 right now. 70? Yeah, 70. That's the goal. You're going to have to knock out it. about eight more a year by the time you... Uh... Finish out the decade. Yeah, I probably won't get that done by 50, but hey, I'll get it done before I die. That's Although if I, it's also wild. I have a good friend. I fly for free right now. So anywhere that United flies, I can go for free. And so last year, just randomly, I walked on all six inhabited continents because I wanted to. And I was like, I'm just going to go really cool. I can touch all of them. <laughs> they don't fly to Antarctica, so I couldn't get there. Yeah, it's a bit harder to get to. Yeah. What's the, you mentioned 20, 26 countries? What's uh what's your top two or three? The Netherlands. Amsterdam is what is one of my favorite countries. Spain now, because I just got back from there. That was my first time ever in Spain. That was incredible. I'd say South Africa was also really it was interesting. It was challenging because there's so much disparity there in terms of like racial divide. But it was really beautiful and that was those were my top three, I'd say, right now. That's incredible. Uh, you've got a quote on the website, so I may eat. It's a connected people do good for themselves and the world, while isolated people damage themselves and the world. 
Can you explain that and, and sort of where that came from and how that shows up in your day to day? Absolutely. Um, I, again, struggling with mental illness. I mean, I have depression, anxiety, complex PTSD, all this kind of stuff. And when I was homeless, I started um, what I called at the time the Human Connection Project because it was and it was totally selfish. It was only for me. I needed to have something where I felt connected to other people. And so what I did a few times is I would like got a table and chairs and went down to 16th Street Mall in Denver, and which is a pedestrian mall. And I set up with a traveler of coffee from Starbucks and a sign that said free coffee and advice about anything. And so I would just sit there and like random people would come up and share their heart and soul. And then we would talk and then they'd go and I never saw them again. But it made me feel like part of the human fabric. And so I wanted I did those kind of things for me to feel connected to the world because I recognized I had been damaged by people who had damaged me and disconnected me and made me feel isolated. And so the antidote to that is connection. And if I feel connected to the broader world, then I'm going to do good and heal versus damage. And I think everybody is either damaging or healing themselves and others. And I think the more we're connected to each other, the, the more we do good in the world. And so being able to run same cafe the last set, six and a half years has been an absolute delight because that's genuinely what I do. Um, you know, when I was 18, I also was on a Jesus retreat, which was interesting because it's where it came from. But I wrote a mission statement for myself then. Um, and it was create spaces of kindness and see and speak the truth. And the only thing that was at the time create spaces of grace, but then I've changed it to kindness to be more like neutral on the religious front. Um, but that has been my driving motivating factor since I was a kid is creating spaces for others that are kind and then also seeing and speaking my truth. Um, and that's been a theme throughout my entire life as well. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of where it shows up is um, connectedness. And I, I recognize that whenever I am feeling isolated, I am an asshole and I'm not nice to myself and therefore I'm not nice to other people. And so I think creating those connections is really vital. Do you have any questions that you ask yourself to ask whether you're feeling connected or isolated? Like how, how do you check in? Our, our last guest had something they called the five gears and that was sort of a framework to just ask herself every time, you know, she's kind of feeling disconnected. Is there something that you do where you notice that you're becoming isolated and, and catch it? Or do you just have to rely on other people saying, hey, Brad, you're being an asshole. It's time to change. I have the gift of mental illness. And so it allows me to feel off very quickly. Um, when I'm off, I'm, I'm way off. And that's a, a beautiful gift because it's an indicator that work needs to be done. So I have, um, this is another one of my guardrails. So I have about four or five of them that are my guardrails. One was my mission statement. One is the um, bucket list. But another one is, is I wrote, uh, I consider it a eulogy for myself. Like this is who I want to be at 85. Now my plan is to live at least until 85. So who do I want to be? And it's on my phone and it just says who I want to be. And it's kind of segmented by eight or nine different pieces of, of experience. So like socially, this is how I want to show up in the world. Uh, physically, this is how I want to show up in the world. Uh, intellectually, emotionally, internal world, external world, that kind of stuff. So there's a category for all of them. So there, it's not questions per se, but I go back and review that often. And so an example is... Um, Would it be too personal to ask you to read that? No, I'm happy to. I, 
I don't really have a personal life anymore. Like if you know my name, you can find my whole story out there. So like, it is what it is. Um, yeah, if you, if you so, wouldn't mind, I'd love, love to hear it. And, and so you mentioned eulogy. Is this from like loved one's perspective or is this how you want to be seen? I see it as my eulogy, but it's, it's how I want to be seen. So okay. it was, it's more like who I want to be. Um, and I don't want to peak when I'm young. I want to peak when I'm dead. Yeah. You know, I want to, I never want there to be the peak that then goes down. I want to like keep going. And so my aim is to peak at 30 at 85, because that way I'm constantly working towards that end goal. So for instance, is, is that something you're afraid of with the, with the peak and the, I used to call it parabolizing. It's a, a math term, but you basically build a, a standard, you know, distribution curve. And I, I kind of have this fear. Uh, I'm very extroverted, very, um, in, you know, I like people, but people come and go from your lives, interests, Wayne, you know, I collected bourbon for you know two years and now it's like, yeah, I don't really care anymore. So I've yeah. seen that, that happen over and over and over again. And I'm trying to figure out, is that just my personality? Or is there some way I can do something that just builds consistently versus, you know, flaming out and flickering off? That's a great, you're asking so many, such good questions. I love this. Well, so that's why I have my bucket list because they're big things. And I recognize that at some point I'm going to be done with the nonprofit world and I don't need to do that again. I don't ever need to redo any of the things that are checked off. Although I did get married twice. So I have two <laughs> check marks by the married one. Uh, I like gay marriage so much. I did it twice. And go. also, if you're not divorced, are you really trying? I don't think so. That's my stance. But <laughs> I'm, I'm in that bucket, so. <laughs> <laughs> you got to iterate this shit. You can't get it right the first time. But so for me, the bucket list is that. Because then it always, I, whenever I get bored with something, then I'm looking at the next thing to say, okay, there it is. Uh, that's the next thing that I want to be working on. But the, the who I want to be list is more about my character and how I show up in the world. So for instance, it's, I want to be emotionally integrated, able to pour myself into relationships and create spaces for myself to have consistent, deep relationships that are mutual and healthy. So that's like one, that's the emotional self. And mutuality within relationships is a big one because um, so much of the world that I came from, it was all set up with hierarchy and like having mentors and a pastor and all this. I don't know. It was just bullshit to me. And so for me, having mutuality with my relationships really matters. And also not to set myself up above others, but instead have mutuality. So that's one. Um, I have one that's I, I want to be healthy and active, walking everywhere and regularly working out uh, for the meditative and health benefits, eating healthy food and um, cooking. So that I want to be vocationally engaged. I want to balance social life. I want to engage natural curiosity. I want to be sexually whole. I want to be creative a person of charity and to cultivate an inner life. So those are the nine or 10 things. And then I have a, a sentence that describes what that looks like. So when I'm off, I will often visit that list and I'll be like, oh, I haven't engaged my natural curiosity in a long time. It's a, I'm feeling that void or I haven't expressed myself creatively in a long time. And so I know that all of those things are kind of the segments of what it means to be a human person, I think. And for me, especially if I'm ignoring one, if I'm not working out or I'm eating shitty food, like it's going to, it's going to make me fall, feel off track. So that's my version of the questions that you were saying from your last guest is visit that often. Love it. And did you build that it's at right. 18? No, no, no. That was something that I did when I was in seminary with uh, someone who <laughs> called himself my mentor, but I had a different view of it, but he considered the, he had this like schema 
of the eight segments of human of being a person or something like that. But it's like emotional life, social life, vocational life, um, sexual relational life, that kind of stuff. And so we did some work in each of those and then I've sort of built on it. So the ones that I've added is being a person of charity, being creative and cultivating an inner life, but he had emotional, physical, um, vocational, social, mental, and sexual. I think those were the ones that he did. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, so it's for really me, fascinating. Like, the, yeah. Go, go, ahead. go ahead, Brad. Well, I was just going to say, I liked dreaming about, okay, when I die, this is what I want people to have said about me. And so I need to be doing those things and working towards them now, if that's what I want to do. Yep. Yeah. It's really fascinating analyzing the parallels between our, our last guest and you and just, again, it doesn't matter which framework you apply, but just having access to really be introspective and analyze yourself and where you're at. It seems to do wonders. It certainly has for me because it's rare that, and like I said, I call the, these all my guardrails, but it's rare that I don't, that I feel off and can't review one of these and it helps me find the gap and fill it and move forward. Um, so the mission statement, the bucket list, that I have a thing, a practice of making a list of 25 things that have given me a sense of accomplishment. I was, I was going to bring that up because I, I remember we talked about it and I was just trying to list it myself. It's pretty damn hard. It's really hard. Uh, but I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. But then uh, also then this like who I want to be list. So those are the things that I consider my guardrails to my life. So when I feel a bit lost or out of sorts, then I kind of review those and say, okay, Am I, am I actually engaging with the things on my bucket list or have I already accomplished and now I'm sort of spinning my wheels or am I off with one of these like categories of being mm -hmm. a person that I need to do? And then the mission statement just kind of lives there, but it's continued to be true for me. The 25 things is really fascinating. So I, whenever I have a young person, like a high school student or college student that asks me for input and advice, the first thing I have them do is write a list of 25 things that have given them a sense of accomplishment. And the hard part is I, I did this when I was 20, I think was first 21, maybe first time I did it. And uh, the first 10 are easy. You can find 10 things that you've, that you've done that you feel accomplished by, but then you really have to dig deep to figure out what the whole list of 25 is. So you do the whole list and then review it and you look for common themes. So the biggest eye opener for me that happened the first time I ever did this. And by the way, I do this in any transition. Like when I'm ready to transition, I, it helps me understand how I live and how I exist in the world. So the first time I ever did it, there were two things on my list that would never have, I would never have registered as being similar. One was I had been, I'd led a gospel choir at a Christian camp I worked at. I was in a gospel choir in college and then I worked at this camp and I was like, I can teach these white kids how to sing some gospel. So I did. And it was interesting because I was teaching them each the parts. And then when we performed, everyone was like, you know, okay with it. But then when we performed, they came back like glowing and they're like, wow, we didn't know we could do that. Like we had no idea that we could actually do that that well. And I was like, well, I did. And there we are. Like that was the whole point. The other one that was on that list was I created this leather journal cover. I think I have it up there somewhere. Yeah, it is. It's right up there at the top. But um, it's a leather journal cover that has like, it closes with a pen and you can like change out the paper in it. And so I went and bought raw leather and I cut it and I stained it and I sewed it together. And as I'm doing it, everyone's like, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. And then after I did it, they were like, wow, you should make these. And I was like, I already did. I don't ever need to make another one. I made one once. And so what I learned from that for me is that I 
do best when I can see a future that doesn't exist yet and bring together the component parts to make that happen and check it off. But I never need to do it again once I, I don't need to run a gospel choir or a choir or even be involved in music. Like I don't even care that much about the music part of it. It was the fact that I could like bring these pieces together. I don't care about leather work, but I had an idea that I wanted to create. And so I did that. And so that's ultimately, and same cafe. What's also funny, food was never even on my top 10 list of passions, food access, food justice, never was, but I saw an opportunity and I saw a future that could be developed there. And now we're putting that into place and I'm reaching that moment now where I'm kind of like, okay, I either need to see a new future there or I can check it off and hand it to someone else who wants to sustain it. Cause I don't need to be the one that's sustaining it. I already did it. I built the thing. I also had the youth group that I used to run as a pastor is still using the exact model that I created. And I found this is 15 years ago. Wow. They're using the model that I created that was kind of based on mentorship and relationships. And I was like, most of the people involved with it have no idea who I am even anymore, but it's running. And I'm like, I'm so proud of that. I love seeing that. So for me, I now know that that's a way that I exist in the world. So I would never in a million years consider a job where I was like making, even if it was making a million dollars a year, wouldn't care if it's just sustaining because it's not who I am. I got to see a future and build something towards it. I would never consider a job that would be um, where I could see, couldn't see a plateau, like beyond the plateau of it. So it's given me a lot of insight, that 25 things into how I function. And so I do, I require every young person that I'm talking to, to do that list. And then we review it and I'm like, okay, let's get a picture of how you exist in the, in the world so that you can continue to build on your accomplishments versus be frustrated by something that you're miserable at and that you're not good at and that someone else would be great at. So when you, I'm just curious, if you don't mind, I'm just curious. It sounds like you've run this experiment uh, with, or pretty much this, uh, you know, the 25 things that you're uh, most proud of. Uh, It sounds like you've done that with uh, many different young people. Yeah. Have you noticed any sort of common thread or commonality uh, across all these uh, young people? No. What's interesting is, is that it's, it's, very personal. And so when I'm working with the young person, what I want to come away from is just the list of three or four things that drive them so that then they can pull out of the subject matter of the things that have given them the sense of accomplishment. So for instance, if you had a, if you were a soccer coach and you loved that, you might think, wow, I want to be a soccer. I want to be involved in soccer in some way. Maybe, but like you might get distracted by the soccer when in reality, it's about the mentoring relationships that you're able to have. So you need to build a life where you have plenty of mentoring relationships, or it could just be about like transferring skill to someone else and you have no desire. You don't care about kids. You don't care about soccer. And so what makes you feel the sense of accomplishment matters more than the subject matter. And so for me, it's getting people out of the narrow lanes that we put ourselves in by saying, oh, well, I'm good at this. So I have to do this the rest of my life. Or I want to have a, my dream job is to be this like soccer. I keep using that stupid example, but, but get out of the subject matter instead say, what is it that makes you feel accomplished about that? And then get a sense of what it is, how you individually exist in the world. So when you, I I guess the reason of listing out 25 things, most of the time our our basic question is, what do you do and who are you? And we list one, maybe two things, and it's very narrow. So yep. I love the fact that doing 25 things forces you to really kind of expand the depths of who you are. When you do that, how do you get to the thing behind the thing? So you mentioned soccer, but it's actually, I love mentoring or I love believing in, in the next generation. 
do you end up seeing like one trends across those 25 or do you see two or three? Like how, how do you, get, how do you get to that? Yep. It's almost always two or three things that is kind of lives behind that. And for me, like when I did it for myself the first time and have consistently had this, it's seeing a future. So visionary, it's also um, pulling together component parts, like seeing disparate parts of how it could fit together and then bringing those together. So these are two different themes, but they're, they're adjacent. And then um, inspiring people is another big one. Like what I do, the only skill that I have really is getting people excited about what I'm excited about. I have no discernible skills. I can't cook worth a fuck. And, you know, I run restaurants. Um, but my only skill is getting people excited about it. So inspiring people, seeing a future, bringing together disparate, disparate parts. That's what makes me good at what I do. And so I have to make sure that wherever I am, I'm able to do those things, whatever that is. And there's actually a moment where recently I kind of did this again and I realized, oh, I have not been using my perspective out there and inspiring others very much. Like that was something that I missed from being a pastor. It's from what I missed. And so I started taking more speaking gigs and I started doing things like this, this podcast, because for me, sharing what I've learned in a sort of public setting is part of what makes drives me. And I've noticed that with young people there's almost always about three things that will surface that'll say, okay, these are the things you like organizing things. Great. Let's make sure that that's part of whatever job opportunity you're looking at. You like, you know, X, Y, Z. So I'll usually kind of try to find out what the three major things are that they are. And to get the thing behind the thing is by seeing the commonalities between when someone has two very different things on their list. I'm so intrigued. I'm like, why, what made you happy here? And what made you happy here? Cause I guarantee you there's a common thread but they're very different things, leatherworking and leading a choir, you know? Man, I love it. Absolutely. I can keep um, talking, but I'm going to no, pause. This is, this is great. I've, I've got your bucket list up here and I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> gauging through it. One, one thought that came to me too, you just did, you said two thirds of the Camino de Santiago. So that is like a walk mostly through Spain. And that's like the, like the St. James, like it kind of leads to James's burial, like yeah. ground, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what led you to, do that. And then I have a thought or two on, on James as it relates to habits, but it just walk us through. It's just, you're walking everywhere, right? Yeah. Like, what, what so, drew you to that? And what is it for those that may not have heard about it? So one of the things that um, I rec recognize it really hit home was um, when I went through my first divorce, I say first divorce as if I'm going to have another, hopefully I stick with Michael, but keep him on notice. I love that man. <laughs> but no, when I went through my divorce, I healed from that through walking and then I also healed through walking through a lot of my PTSD and all of the intense trauma that I was experiencing. So for me, um, healing in general has been a very embodied experience. It's yoga, it's walking, it's now I work out like an absurd amount just because I'm gay, so it's a thing. But also, um, I just like it. I like physically moving my body. And so walking has always had an almost spiritual overtone. And then I heard about this like, the Camino Francis and the Camino de Santiago. By the way, there's like 40 Caminos that all converge on that one spot. Oh, but the main one that most people think about is the Camino Francis from St. Jean Port in France to the Camino de San or to the uh, Compostela de Santiago, which is the Cathedral of St. James. So the minute I heard about it, and this has now been 15 years ago, I was like, it takes 35 days, but I want to do that at some point. And I had kind of set aside this time to do the whole thing. And then 
for unrelated experience, things that I'm not going to talk about, I had to stop early, which was kind of tragic. Like I had a moment where I had to grieve it and um, come back early and now I'm going to mm -hmm. go finish it. But yeah, uh, that's, that's why walking is a bit spiritual, even though I'm not a spiritual person anymore or don't consider myself religious, certainly maybe somewhat spiritual. Yeah. I think spiritual and religious are very different. Yeah. Um, when you're walking, I'm assuming you don't have podcasts or music blaring. Is, is it just you and your thoughts? Like what, what does that setup look like? So there's a, the purists say you have to do it silent. I'm not a purist. So I'm like, I'm going to enjoy this anyway. So I, it gave me a chance to listen to books. Sometimes I'd be in my own head. Sometimes I would just be in the same pace with someone and talk to them. So I kind of let it unfold as it was going to, but I chose to do it the pilgrim way where I didn't have plans for where I was going to sleep each night. Um, so you come up on a town and if you're tired, then you can kind of pull over and there's a albergue, which is a hostel. And then you go in and they open at a certain time and you have to wait in line and you can't get reservations at them. Some people will plan it out and have their, like, they know where they're going to be. There's a hotel, but I loved doing it because I just sort of fell into a rhythm with a certain group. And there were, by the end, probably about 25 of us that was my Camino family. Mm -hmm. And we were all sort of going the same route and we were on the same like text thread. And so it gave, I, for me, was the community experience there. But I did listen to music sometimes. I listened to podcasts sometimes and, and books. And then I decided I was going to start doing, again, the creativity and the inspiration thing. I, I started making videos, TikTok videos, which is stupid, but I did it anyway. And I was like processing my religious trauma while walking this thing. And uh, so I, I got, I think I posted maybe 10 or 15 of them, but it was really fun and had a lot of engagement and people enjoyed it, seemed to enjoy it anyway. But it was me kind of talking through my trauma and why, what I'm experiencing here and how that relates to what I used to believe versus what I believe now and why I identify as a gaytheist, which is mostly a joke. And so it's been, it was really fun to kind of do that as both like an downloading from my mind, as well as feeding my mind through the experience. Yeah. It occurs to me, yeah. the coffee thing that you did back on the 16th street area, that would have been made for TikTok. Although I assume that wasn't the goal. It was really it just, a, it was yeah, TikTok wasn't a thing back then. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing, the reason I love like the apostle James, I grew up extremely conservative Baptist, uh, did mm -hmm. Bible quizzing, national champions, baby. Um, but I love James. He's incredibly practical. And, and the whole point for us in doing stacking habits is habits are the building blocks. And what you do isn't necessarily who you are, but it's a pretty damn good proxy for who you are. And one of the things James says, he goes, you know, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And I lived in my head up until the last probably two years, I've finally started being aware of, oh my gosh, I have a heart and a body and there's way more to me than just a brain. Yeah. Um, and I love that concept. And that's really the whole goal of us doing the podcast is we want to interview intriguing people, interesting people, but also present this sort of menu for listeners to hear and say, hey, that doesn't apply to me. I don't want to do it. Or, oh, my gosh, I want to live my life on purpose. But at the yeah. end of the day, if you don't do anything, like you can have this cool idea to go walk the, the Camino. And if you don't do it, who cares? It's just an idea living in your head. And Absolutely. so practicality is, is really what we're all about. And, uh, I think that's really what you're all about too. It is my, it's so funny. My, uh, 
email signature used to say pragmatic ideologue because I, I believe the ideology is the, the dream of the future that doesn't exist yet. But then if it doesn't apply itself right now, um, our, our praxis, not our theology, but our praxis, what we do right now matters more than what we believe. And this is something that I studied in seminary. I have a, I find it delightful to talk to either Christians or former Christians because I have all of that language. I consider myself multilingual <laughs> because I can still speak it, even though I don't necessarily practice that version of it anymore. But I love that about James, always have about like, if you're not doing this, then you're not doing it correctly. You don't actually believe it unless you're doing it. And I think looking at people's actions is where the the rubber meets the road, as you as you just said. Yeah. Couldn't have said yeah. it better. That, well done. No, that's phenomenal. So I'll I'll just drop a little plug right here. If you're listening right now and anything has stood out, take a moment, pause the episode, write something down, and actually go do it. Go implement it. Uh, I think the one that stands out to me would be write down 25 things that you feel accomplished. And uh, share those with a loved one, share those with a stranger, pull up a, you know, a carafe of coffee on the street if you want to be like <laughs> Brad, but do something. So again, it's so easy. There's, there's millions of podcasts, millions of YouTube videos. Information is plentiful and cheap and prevalent, but actually pause this right now and write down something and then go do it. That, that's my challenge. Unless you're driving, then just yeah. keep driving <laughs> just keep... or pull over. You could pull over because <laughs> because lawyers. Yeah, don't don't go sue us if you get any kind of damage. Exactly. You know, Brad, Brad, you've seemed like you've had a lot of thoughts that over the years of your life, you've organized really well and you've not only organized them. It seems like you always put pen to paper and then kind of almost create a framework for you to follow that you can very easily, like you've shown us, teach other people how to do that as well. Have you always been a more organized person that needs to write things down and have structures like that? Or was there a time in your life where you were unorganized, unstructured? You saw a need for that and you kind of created those habits to become more structured in your life. That's a great question. I don't, I'm not sure if I can fully answer it, except to say my, I have mental structures that, that I've resonated with and my, my world, my internal world is constant chaos. And so I sort of like have the privilege now of being 42 and have lived a bit of life to be able to see what is it that's helped me get to here. And so I think I'm probably like plagued by being constantly self-analytical, which helped me build some of those structures. But I would say I don't consider myself a very structured person, actually. And these are all internal structures for me, not that external. In fact, Usually on the daily, I will disrupt my life on purpose because I need it to feel alive because I feel dead if I'm doing the same thing every day. <laughs> and so what's funny is that it does sound quite structured, doesn't it? I guess I, <laughs> I call myself chaos. Like I am chaos kind of as a person. And so it's interesting because yeah, these have become structures, but I don't know that I ever set out to create structure. What's but funny is this trend has emerged. Um, Matthew, you've, you've kind of pointed this out in me, but it's also shown up in some other guests that we've had where some of the most seemingly structured and disciplined and organized individuals would say, I don't view myself that way. And I, I, I just, I'm noticing that trend. I don't know what it means, but I, I'm actually intrigued by that concept. 
Well, it's like you keep bringing up Caleb and other ones too. You're like Jocko Willing's book, Discipline Equals Freedom. And oftentimes through these discipline structures, we're able to have a lot more freedom in our lives and flexibility and creativity if we're able to be disciplined in the main structures that we have for ourselves, I think. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I again, had someone who I received mentoring from tell me when I was in college that discipline has the effect of, of spreading. So if you, if you develop discipline in one area, you have discipline in other areas. And that's always resonated with me. And so my thought is, is I need to fall in love with the things that make me thrive. I think of it more in terms of thriving, but if I fall in love with the processes that make me thrive, then I'm going to do those all the time versus like trying, I, I guess I don't really see it as trying, but like, for instance, working out. I love working out. I'm pretty fit now. Like I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been this like interesting journey, but I only started doing it when I fell in love with the process of working out. I physically like moving my body. And so I was like, just going to go to the gym every day, even if it was for five minutes, um, because that was better than zero minutes. And then now, I mean, I think I just spent two and a half hours there this morning, but it was like, uh, it's, I wake, I don't sleep very much either because my mind is chaos. And so I always wake up at about 3am and I don't, I have to wait till the gym opens and then I can go move and actually get some energy out. But yeah, so I think that's such an interesting question, but I don't see myself as structured. When I got this free travel benefit, I told my husband, I was like, just so you know, I'm going to go to Europe for lunch just for the hell of it. <laughs> and I did. I went to London for lunch because I'd heard about a Chinese restaurant I wanted to try. And so, so I did. And it was one of the most experiences what you flew in grabbed lunch and flew right back yeah i did end up spending the night there okay. <laughs> but um yeah no i did that and you know i went to denver for a haircut too <laughs> like, oh, i just uh, sometimes like it it is not uncommon right now because i still have that benefit like it's been several times where i will get up on a saturday morning at three because i can't sleep and then i'll be like i'm just gonna go to the airport and i'll go to new york just to walk around the city because I want to absorb the like chaos. I need that energy of chaos around me, but where no one knows me and no one's asking me for anything. And so like on a random Saturday or Sunday, I'll sometimes just go walk around a big city for no reason. That's incredible. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but when, when I was in my uh, late teens, early twenties, I went to New York. There was something so intimidating about it. I just felt so insignificant. I felt like nobody. And uh, I, you know, I've been going to New York uh, well through my twenties. And now that I'm, you know, 33, uh, when I go to New York, like I, I just get a totally different sense from being there. Uh, more similar to you, Brad, like I really love being part of a cr faceless crowd and just kind of being able to be part of this bigger thing. And so like my perspective really shifted from that. I, I wonder like, you know, do you, do you feel like that's the same sort of energy that you get from large cities, bustling crowds, just like being able to be like, be with tons of people yet be by yourself? Yes. And in fact, this became really clear during the pandemic. I am an introvert at heart, which is wild because most people wouldn't read me that way, but I introvert in crowds. That's the only way I can do it. If I get it by myself in a room, I just fall into a pit of depression. But if I'm in a crowd where no one knows me and is asking anything of me is where I get my energy. And I, it really became clear during the pandemic because I couldn't be around people. And so I would try to introvert in the ways that I normally would. I, I used to and still do now. I'll go to a busy coffee shop and read. 
Mm-hmm. Or I'll go to a movie by myself, or I'll fly to New York City and walk around for two hours and come back home. Um, or I'll go to the airport. I mean, there's been days where I'll just go to the airport just to walk around because I just like need that crush of people. And so that was one of those really eye-opening things to realize I need people, the bustle of people around me, but I would need to be in my head. So I put on my fuck off face and I put in headphones so no one talks to me. And then I just like, I, I, it restores my soul in a really interesting way. Uh, I love it. I love, I think sometimes having that stimuli around you does help. I'm the same way. I, I'm an extrovert though, but when I need to do quiet time, I, I have a hard time turning off the mind. And so for me, travel, sitting on an airplane, same thing. I'll put headphones on. I'm not really social on the plane nope. and being in a, in a coffee shop where I don't know anybody is kind of a cheat code for me because it somehow gives me permission <laughs> to think and go internally but still feel like I'm getting that external uh, extroverted need met. That's I wonder it. if there's like something deep within the human condition that needs that because like it's the three of us. I, I don't know about you, Matthew, but like literally just putting my headphones in and walking around town and just like seeing people. And I, I just wonder like, you know, we as humans for, you know, generations, we grew up in tribes and we grew up in villages with all these people around us. And I, I just wonder if that's something that's just been hard coded in all of us where we just feel the need for, to be around people. So and random. I, I just wonder with like, go ahead. No, sorry. Keep going. I was going to say random thought. I saw this experiment the other day they did with people about sleep and two random sound effects that made people sleep deeper was the sound of a crackling fire and the sound of snoring dogs. And they think it's because a long time ago, that's what our minds associated with safety is if as long as the fire is still going or the dog is on the lookout type thing. I'm curious if it's the same for our minds that we somehow feel safer when we're around a group of people so we can let our guard down and think through things. When if we're by ourselves, we have more of those kind of reptilian mind things where it's saying be on the lookout for danger type thing. and You can't fully almost relax. I don't know if that's a, it's a real thing or not, but for some reason, I almost feel like somehow we might feel safer in a group of people and we can kind of let our guard down more and think through things better. It's an interesting hypothesis. I'm, I'm going to bring back Brad's quote from earlier, connected people do good for themselves in the world. And I think a big part of it is we are connected. I don't, I don't, it depends on where you fall religiously, spiritually, whatever that may be, but there is some sort of common bond that we share as humans. And I think, you know, maybe for you, Brad, just being in a coffee shop or, you know, there's the phrase alone in a crowded room. Usually yep. that's meant as a bad thing. Like you can't connect. But I view that as like, hey, cool, I'm connecting with myself and you feel safe. Well, just like the snoring dogs, if the dogs are snoring, then, you know, there's no danger. I think the same thing is true. If you're in a crowded park with people walking around, there's some elements of safety and and connection, I would argue. Absolutely. That's been my experience is that I was going to bring that back up is that for me, feeling connected to a group and I love the anonymity of New York City too. And I, it's the same feeling I get when I'm out in the woods alone looking at stars, right? Like, or out in a big field. I want to feel small. I think it's important to feel small and insignificant because, you know, I have an ego that doesn't quit. If I wasn't me, if I didn't have the same life experiences that I had, I would be a full blown narcissist. And so I am grateful for the universe for beating it out of me or God or whoever is doing this for beating that out of me. Um, and so feeling insignificant is a really important thing for me. I'm the CEO of a nonprofit, like the world, my world kind of revolves around me. And so being insignificant is really important, I think, for most people's mental health. And that's what I love about New York. It's why I like being out in nature as well. Um, it's, 
insignificance is a beautiful thing. Yeah, I, I get the same feeling looking at the stars. That was sort of my happy place in, in yeah. high school. I didn't I didn't really have an emo phase, but I would listen to punk rock and just <laughs> go out, lay on the hood of my car and look at the stars. And I got to know the <laughs> constellations. And it's the same thing. You just look out there and go, we are a speck of dust. And I'm a tiny little critter on that speck of dust. And if that doesn't put you in perspective, I don't know what will. <laughs> I listen to history podcasts for that reason, too, because history's like when I think about the history of anything, most people are not remembered. And so I can stop taking myself so seriously yeah. of like, oh my God, this minute matters so much that I'm going to latch onto it as if my life depends on it or the universe depends on it. I'm like, no, in most people don't get remembered a hundred years after they're born. Yeah. And that's okay. And most of the ones who are remembered for a thousand years after they're born were assholes. So yeah. like, let's, let's keep it in perspective because all I can do then it brings me back to this present moment. Cause I can say yeah. what I can do now is hopefully bring healing that will have lasting effects and ripple effects past people who ever remember who I am. And that's what my dream is, is that I can create a world that is better for people than the one that I grew up in, which was traumatic and abusive. And I grew up in a cult too. That's a whole other thing. We'll, uh, we'll talk about so, that later. Brad, it's, it's safe to say that you think about the Roman Empire pretty regularly. <laughs> I do. It is so funny. When that became a trend on TikTok, I was like, I asked my husband, I was like, do you think about the Roman Empire? Because I do a lot. Like, I, I think about it multiple times a week. And when that happened, I was like, this is weird. I feel like someone's reading it. And then I asked my brothers and neither of them think about it at all. And I was like, y'all are weird. But I do think about the Roman Empire a lot. I also love history podcasts, so I know a lot about the Roman Empire. Yeah. Well, you mentioned guardrails at the beginning, and I, I believe we got through all of them. But can we circle back to that concept? Because I think that's what's going to stand out here as the habit. It's being intentional and sort of setting these guardrails. Can you, I think you mentioned five. Did we get through all of them? We got through four of the five. So they are my mission statement is one, creating spaces of kindness. And also, by the way, I do design stuff. So like I built this and designed this like um, library that I'm in right now. And part of that is like it just creating spaces, physical spaces matter for me, as well as creating emotional and spiritual space for other people. So mission statement, the t list of 25 things, my bucket list items, and then the kind of writing my eulogy is how I think of it, but it's the who I want to be list. The fifth one, which is interesting, has come and gone, and it's currently not here, but it's journaling. So when I was a Christian, I journaled a lot, and it was really, really helpful for me to organize my thoughts. And for some reason, since I no longer identify as Christian, it doesn't resonate with me because much of my journaling existed as a conversation between me and God. And so it's fallen away, but I circle back to it regularly. And I'm like, I keep trying and I'm like, continue to do that. I found a bit of resonance by writing actual physical letters to people. So that's been a bit of that. And then also I look at that and I'm ludicrous enough to believe that it, there's probably still something there with this whole like godness relationship with god thing that we'll I'll probably circle back to it just means that i'm not there right now um, and when i left christianity i actually said okay if there is a god she he or they are going to hold on to me and i'm going to stop holding on to that and at some point i'll circle back to it and it'll either be still real or not real but i don't need to like grasp onto it. But yeah, journaling is the the fifth one for me that has been really resonant in most of my life. But in the last four years, since I now identify as a gay theist, I don't do it that much. I try. I'd say once every six months, I'll try to see if it resonates again, but it hasn't yet. 
When you uh, say you used to do it regularly, was that like a daily habit or just something you'd occasionally do before? Is that something that was like a main staple in your life at one point in time? It was a main staple in my life, actually. And it, I would say I did it sometimes multiple times a day, but certainly daily. Would you go back and review what you wrote or was it just a way to put thought on paper? It was to put thought on paper and then occasionally I'd go back and review it. It was this may open a can of worms that we don't want to go to, but like it was so much of my life as a queer Christian, as a queer kid being raised in a cult and then in conservative Christianity and surviving conversion therapy, uh, trying to change my sexual orientation. So much of it was self-hatred expressed on paper that I actually went through a process where I did the whole Marie Kondo thing of holding mm -hmm. everything. And if it gave me joy, I kept it. If it didn't, it, I let go of it. And I did that with my journals. So I've have, I had journals that went back till since I was like 16 and I read all of them and then burned them all. Wow. I saved six pages. And the whole thing was for me, letting go of some self-hatred and I have yet to be able to re-engage it in a way that doesn't have that element of like hating a piece of who I am to fit into a bigger schema that I was a part of. There was a lot of good that happened in there, but for the most part, it was just this kind of toxic sludge and I needed to get rid of it. And at some point it may come back. And if it doesn't, I feel fine with that. Wow, that's incredible. So we talk about habits on the show, but really it's about rituals, routines, and sort of cycles that, that sort of pop up. So for your guardrails in your own life, is there a, a rhythm that you follow and check in once a quarter, once a year, just when you feel like you're off or isolated? It's um, with the bucket list, I'd say I look at it monthly. No, no set ritual, but I look at it monthly. Um, and then with my 25 things, it's anytime there's a transition or I'm feeling unhappy with my current situation, I'll do that to say, okay, is there something else that I can glean from this? And then the who I want to be list is more whenever I'm feeling off. I'll review that um, because I, again, I see them as guardrails. And so as long as I'm on the right path, then I'm pretty good. But they're the things that I bump up against whenever I feel like I'm going off track some way. Got it. So for people that want to be practical, can you, other than the, the five guardrails that you mentioned, is there like a first step? Someone goes, wow, that's so much information. I can't possibly know where to begin. Maybe the 25 accomplishments seems like too much work. Do you have one very simple baby step that someone listening right now can say, all right, here's the first step toward even just building this tiny framework of guardrails? Absolutely. And I think it's do the make the healthier choice and fall in love with the healthier choice, no matter what that is. So if you're faced with the choice, do the one that is better for you, mm. not the one that makes you feel good right now, but the one that's better for you. And then enjoy it. Find something to enjoy in it. I, I go through this on a micro level every time I'm at the gym, because sometimes there's just like, oh, it's leg day. I don't want to do legs again. So I'll have to slow down the workout and say, okay, I've got to find some joy in squats or else I'm not going to want to do squats again. And I've got to figure out what is the motion here that I like. I hate everything about this, but I've got to slow it down until I can feel something that I like. Because if I love it, I'll do it. And if I hate it, I do not believe in rise and grind. I think it's dumb. You got to love what you do. <laughs> and I'm motivated when I wake up to like find the thing that gets me out of bed. So for instance, this morning I was laying in bed and I was like, I don't want to move. I don't really want to get up right now, but my mind was going. So it's like, what's the one thing that I'm looking forward to getting out of bed? And it was my espresso. So I got up, I made an espresso and it got me out of bed. And then I started moving. And then, it, then I was off to the gym and all the rest of it.
That's awesome. Well, Brad, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I feel like we could sit and talk for several more hours. I may have just cut my video. I would do that. So you let me know because I would do that. That sounds fun. (laughs) Well, we will will certainly follow up. Uh, We'll leave it at that. If you have uh, a doubt in what you're trying to do, make... Thank you for having me. It's great to meet you all.